everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry. This is Haley. Who's ready to talk about news and reviews? I am. I'm so ready. How ready are you? Like, so ready that you want to jump in right now. Yeah, I would love to just jump right in. All right, I think we should do that because Haley constructed this beautiful list of stories that I have yet to read because it's a week. This is a week. It is a week. We're going to have an experiential episode of The Witching Hour. You get to, to go through learning this with us in real time. Yeah, dare I say, everyone out there is going to be prepping right along with us <laughs> during the actual episode. That makes no sense, but that's what's happening here. So the first story we're talking about is Brian Fuller signing on to write and direct a Christine remake over at Blumhouse. This is being made with Blumhouse and Sony Pictures and... There's a whole bunch of cool people involved. Fuller, of course. Then we've got Jason Blum, Vincenzo Natale. And what they're saying in this deadline report is that Fuller is looking to keep his version as a period piece set in the 1980s. And, you know, the the Collider article suggests that they're taking a cue from the success of things like It and Stranger Things. So they're adhering to that. Um, Other than that, we don't really have many story details about how Fuller might change this here. Yeah, we don't. I would not, you know, it's Brian Fuller and he doesn't tend to do very straightforward adaptations and especially, well, you know, he's always got a visual flair, but when you see Vincenzo Natale on there also as a producer, he always makes pretty distinct looking films as well. So I expect a lot of spectacle in this adaptation, but also, um, Gosh, it was, I believe it was Fuller's episode of King Cast. He really went in on Christine for a little bit and why he loves it so much. Oh. And he had some really interesting takes on, takes on the material. So I would encourage anyone to go listen to that for perhaps, maybe not, maybe they're doing something totally different, but how he views the material certainly. And it's funny in the work Slack, Vinny kind of joked like uh, the car is going to be sexy or something like that. <laughs> Uh, and he did actually, he like breaks down in that podcast, a scene that he believes is basically like sex with Christine. Interesting. Well, now that's a high priority for me to listen to. <laughs> Obviously not literal sex, but the way it's written yeah, yeah, yeah. comes across that way. All it's right. Very, it's well, well, we're, wow, words, well worth listening to. What are words? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Christine's one of my favorite Stephen King books. And as much as I love the, uh, the movie that we already have, like every single time I put it on, you can't help but to think this is due for a remake or a re- reimagining or an update of sorts. I think it still plays well personally, but it can be improved. Yeah, I should. I don't revisit that one very often. I should give it another watch now that it's back in the conversation. I do hope they uh, they consult with Carpenter for some scoring. Because that, that cool. score is very, very good. You, uh, until you said scoring, I was like, he doesn't care, but he does love his music. He does, he does love music. And I love his music, so sure. I hope he gets involved there. All right, so we got a Christine remake. Next one? Mm-hmm. All right, let's move over to some Resident Evil casting news this is the resident evil live action series over on netflix and they have released a full ensemble get ready for a whole bunch of names i'll probably butcher so 
we already know that Lance Reddick is on board. And now this new announcement adds Ella Belinska, Tamara Smart, Sienna. Oh, no. This is terrible. Well, why don't let's let's go to the big one, I think, which is uh, I'm Lance- still scrolling. OK, but I think the big news is that Lance Reddick is going to star as Wesker. Oh, the way this was phrased, I thought that that was already announced. I don't believe so. I think okay. that. No, I, yeah, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's an experiential episode. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I guess my main thing here, because I'm I'm not super familiar with a lot of these actors. I love Lance Reddick and anything that dude has an inimitable presence. Um, but I am kind of floored by the amount of resident evil happening right now across all mediums like there's the new film there's this live action show there's obviously the games which everyone's obsessed with right now um and i guess i never like i know it's a really beloved franchise in a lot of different capacities but i i didn't anticipate it coming back full force this way in 2021 it's kind of caught me by surprise I'm very, I'm very much here for it. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not much of a of a game player. I don't know that realm very well, but I definitely kept up the, with the uh, film franchise. And even though I think that most certainly ran its course, I know that the uh, the source material is well worth further adapting. So I'm curious to see another spin on it. And looking, uh, looking at the rest of that ensemble, there are like I know some of these names. I mean, Ella Belinska, of course, was from uh, the 2019 Charlie's Angels movie, and she was quite good in that. And then Tamara Smart, I remember from Artemis Fowl, because if I if I have this correctly, oh, no, you know what? I really remember her from A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting. Ah, it was, yeah. uh, she was one of the leads in that, and I thought she was quite good. Yeah, she's good there. Um you're right. I just don't know their names on a first first look, but I, I did recognize Ella Belinska from. I've I've kind of blocked Artemis Fowl out of my brain. Yes, that's but exactly I'm sure, right. I'm pretty sure her character in that is just like severely underused. Like she pops in now, every scene she's in, but it doesn't amount to much because she doesn't get anything to do. When you said from Artemis Fowl, I was like right over my head. Don't remember what you're talking about. I agree. I have blocked it. Here's uh, another name you know though. Adeline Rudolph, who is from The Chilling of Adventures of Sabrina. She plays Agatha. Oh, sure. Yeah. Another one that I do now that you contextualize it. I know who that is. And she got some like meaty stuff to work with as that uh, as that series went along. And I thought she did pretty well with it. Well, they're definitely uh, turning to Netflix being who I'm talking about. They're turning to actors they've worked with before. That's for there sure. There you go. Um, I'm curious. I, I'm I would say of like the upcoming Resident Evil stuff, I know the least about this one. And my big question is like, how are these, all these with the existing film franchise and the games, how are they going to do something different? Or do people even want them to do something different? I'm not really sure. (laughs) Because everybody keeps getting really excited that supposedly the new movie is going to be a lot like the game. Um, I mean, that's, that's a good question. And if, uh, most of the film franchises I know well are any indication. It's it's no, it's keep doing the exact same <laughs> thing, but raise raise the, the bar up a notch. 
I think I have Fast and Furious on the brain right now just because that's right around the corner. That makes sense. That definitely applies there. Well, I would expect that the new movie will probably be pretty different from the last film franchise, which wasn't really like the games at all. It was just the Mila Jovovich kicks everything's ass show, which I enjoyed. Which, yeah, I thought it was entertaining enough. I'm not going to say that most of them are good movies, except for the first and the second, but... But I enjoy them anyway. I know, I do enjoy them. (laughs) I like big gross monsters and and very small ladies with huge guns. I enjoy them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish that they would uh, put that out as the official description instead of whatever they're going to print. <laughs> All right. Do we want to move into Evil Dead? Of course. Always. Oh, I didn't watch this trailer. We've got a trailer for Evil Dead the game. And apparently it features the return of Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams. Well, Did that's sort of the How many times is he going to say he's not doing this anymore and then come back and do it? Your games count, though? I think so. Can I watch this and put put it on mute? All right. Bear with me, guys. You're going to hear it blare for a hot second. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I was too quick. You didn't hear a thing. I did. Oh, you already did it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Watching it in the background. I guess um, this just makes me wonder if it is possible that maybe he will pop back up in the new Resident Evil film in some capacity. Evil Dead. <laughs> Don't you, don't you expect me to say things that make sense? I mean, honestly, that crossover sounds like yeah. something I would really want to see. I don't but know if Ash would survive very long in Resident Evil. Specific, specifically, though, I want to see Mila Jovovich fighting opposite Bruce Campbell. Like, I, like I just think that pairing in the uh, Resident Evil realm, or maybe even a Resident Evil, Evil Dead mashup. Now I'm thinking about <laughs> You know, since I, I've turned into an old lady as I'm in lockdown still, because I don't leave the house with my family in New York, all I do is watch Wheel of Fortune. And you know, there's one puzzles where it's the start and finish or the, the front and back one where it's like a word in the middle that connects and it's like uh-huh. Resident Evil dead. Yes. Pitch it, Perry. Make it yeah. happen. I wish. <laughs> what were we talking about? The game trailer. Studios? Are they both Sony? I'm not sure. I can't. Um, oh, wait. No, now Resident Evil Dead Rises HBO Max for goodness sake oh yeah I forgot about that yeah I got feelings about that did we talk about that or was I talking about that with Matt we talked about it oh yeah we we roused up some anger about it yeah injustice not please oh Kelly is in this trailer (laughs) yay this looks good I mean the I'm not, yeah. I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to play it. I don't play video games, but if I did, I would have been sold. I don't often play video games either. And I, I'll tell you, I want to play this. That's not a guarantee that I actually will. But what I would really do is probably just watch like cutscenes and recorded gameplay on YouTube because oh, it looks really Oh, I'll watch some gameplay on YouTube. Oh, I just saw Elagos too. That's one of my favorite Evil Dead demons. This is cool. Yeah, it's definitely cool. And it, that's why I'm like, you say, do video games count? I think, I mean, they're clear. This is like proper evil dead lore. And you know what's making me a little sad watching this? So, all right, I, I have to take this back because I'm a little torn. You know, I'm very excited about Lee Cronin directing a new evil dead movie. And I'm excited that Evil Dead Rise is changing the setting a little and trying to do something different. That does excite me. But it's like if this if this game trailer also had 
all of a sudden Jane Levy's Mia pop up. Like I would lose my mind. I would lose my mind if the next installment of Evil Dead was bringing it all together. That'd be very fun. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out. Maybe. I don't know. It sounds like she's not expressly interested in that character from your last interview. Was that the, am I misremembering? Didn't she say she's like done with horror more or less? Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say it without knowing for sure. Cause I don't want to give off the wrong impression about her, but I know she's interacted with some evil dead tweets recently. And now that um, NBC has absolutely broken my heart by canceling Zoe's extraordinary playlist, I guess there's a chance that she might have some more free time on her schedule, which is a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> what are you doing, NBC? Saw a lot of heartbreak about that one. Ugh. I don't. What a terrible decision. I don't understand that at all. I will say, I don't know a single person who doesn't work in the industry who watches it. So it's probably just a numbers game. Maybe it's fine, but if it's a numbers game, reduce the cost numbers and move it over to Peacock. How, do, how does that not balance out? And also, sometimes I look at the numbers of our, our video views to try to get a sense of how big the audience is. And the engagement on the season finale interview with Skylar Aston to me, like that, that felt representative of a fairly significant community. Interesting. I'm not sure. But... No, no. I think I'm just like really sour on the matter right now. I'm sorry. It was too sad for me. I couldn't watch it. I get that. Um, if I could try to sell it to you one more time. Oh, <sighs> how to explain this? <laughs> it, it is. It's like a cathartic sad and it's a sadness that makes you feel like you're walking away with tools to manage that sadness. Well, and that's really well said, Perry. That's something that I that I think I always need, which is a big reason why I appreciate the show so much. Maybe I'll give it another try. Probably not because I have so much. <laughs> one day in a theoretical time when you I'm not. realize that's every single time one of us, I'm going to watch it. Eh, probably not then maybe i won't <laughs> i got the same problem i get it but this trailer looks badass and just makes me want to watch someone else play the game that's exactly how i feel and i totally wouldn't rule out like a, a mia cameo or at least a reference it definitely seems like they're going big and trying to encapsulate the whole love for the franchise yeah i imagine they're probably not trying to spoil everything like what like why is kelly in it but not pablo they have to be saving him for another time right they better be i would hope that would so make I would, very sad. yeah i would not like that um i guess briefly we could talk about evil dead rise a little because looks like filming has begun we got a picture of a slate on Twitter from director Lee Cronin. And for all of you uh, Ash versus Evil Dead fans out there, you might've noticed that the uh, cinematographer listed on that slate is an Ash versus Evil Dead cinematographer. And he he photographed quite a few episodes that are quite beautiful, um, David Garbett. So I think no, it's, it's actually yeah. just Dave, sorry. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> not David. We no longer can pronounce names to the point that we can't say David. <laughs> I'm, turning, I'm turning into my dad. It's like, like every single time 
someone has a name that you could either lengthen or shorten, he'll say the wrong thing. Oh God, me too. <laughs> like, like if, if you're Joanna, he'll call you Joanne. <laughs> okay, I don't I don't do that but I do like so something like Dave versus David or Brad versus Bradley or Joe versus Joseph I'm always like which one which one yeah. do they prefer and it's whatever the preference is my dad will say the opposite <laughs> like I'm surprised he doesn't call our dog Gordon instead of Gordy <laughs> my uh my curse is that if a name is spelled two ways like steven with a v or steven with a ph i will always get it wrong always every time sean s-e-a-n s-h-a-u-n wrong every time i, f- I feel you i do that quite a bit myself <laughs> um what were we talking oh we were talking about this uh this set photo and i guess with that or did we already know this de- this uh detail about the casting and the uh you know, I think we already had this, the casting and the uh, one-line synopsis, right? Yeah, we had that, I believe. All right. Well, just in case, it's going to star Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan in the two leading roles. And I think I'll just leave it there because I can't find the synopsis sentence. They're, they're sisters. Fighting deadites, I think, probably, yeah. if I had to guess. But that- in, in, in not the woods, in a city. That gave me just enough time to find it. If <laughs> they're two estranged sisters reconnecting in the city before they get interrupted by an onslaught of deadites. Hey, I, I'm, I was so correct. I think you got most of it there. <laughs> kind of fun not knowing anything about these stories. <laughs> Should we do the next one where I'm going to 100% butcher the pronunciation? Oh boy, let's do it. Let's do it. So we actually, just so you guys know, we actually did discuss this beforehand because I watched a vid, I I did, I panicked about the pronunciation and I looked up, I had time to look up one video and it was, I think it was Jack Osborne saying it. So I don't know how much stock I should put in this pronunciation, but he said La Lori, the La Lori mansion. But all I keep hearing is American horror story saying La Lori. Right, which is very uh, like the, the French yeah. uh, of New Orleans. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it was like probably originally the more French pronunciation and then it became LaLaurie probably. Okay. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know anything here. I'm going to say it one more time and then never repeat it again. <laughs> the LaLaurie Mansion horror franchise coming from Spiral Director, The Conjuring Producers. Let's find where this news begins. So we've got it's going to set up a series of movies about the haunted property of the same name in New Orleans. The film is hoping to be released in Q4 of this year. Wow. And is looking to start production as soon as possible. Damn, that's ambitious. With some of the shoot being filmed on location. The legend behind the house. Ha- oh, I'm going to say her name again. The legend behind the house began with its resident. Madame, Madame LaLaurie is how they say it in American Horror Story, a socialite and serial killer who tortured and murdered slaves during the 19th century. Um, and then the article says, if this sounds familiar, you right, might remember it from the third season of American Horror Story, in which Kathy Bates portrayed the real life Delphine LaLaurie. And gifted us with the uh, always useful lies. Oh, she's so good. She's so good in everything. Everything. Um, but this is, I mean, this sounds interesting. I mean, we've already have proof that it's, um, it's like ripe for an adaptation. That just sounds like an incredibly ambitious schedule. 
there. And on top of that, I want to, I want to know the cast and I want to know more about what they're doing with the story that we haven't seen before or that we can't read on Wikipedia. Yeah. I also, I don't know. I'm a little, um, I want to know more. I would like to know more. I'm conflicted. I feel like, uh, given Bausman's (laughs) previous projects, it could be one of those films that veers into like really hyper gnarly violence that I'm not, I'm not sure if that's specifically the film I'm looking for, but I'm keeping an open mind. Well, I think the other problem with him right now is, and I know like one film doesn't define a career, but I've got that sour taste from Spiral still in my mouth. And I know we feel differently, but I feel like having just seen Spiral, it's making me like a little less hyped about his next project. I feel the opposite about that, but I, I am, I am not eager for an explicitly gruesome movie about a woman torturing slaves you know no that's not what I'm hoping they're going to do something different with that I I really would be curious to see a log line for this yeah mark us down as hesitantly curious yeah about the one we don't 100% know how to pronounce the other thing that makes me that makes me hesitant too is just I don't think it's the best idea in this industry to announce your hopes to turn something into a franchise without delivering a good first film. I just think that's, you know, unless we're talking about, I mean, I was about to say, unless we're talking about like a Star Wars spinoff series, but we've even seen that kind of stuff hit a wall. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree with you there. I think it's, you know, it makes sense to keep in mind that something could be a franchise starter, but you don't want to end up in the position, which we have seen a couple times this year. And there was a good feature on Collider recently from one of our freelance writers about feature length prologues because you're planning a franchise in advance. Not the best idea in my book. Speaking of franchises, do we want to talk about Jurassic? <laughs> How's that for a transition? Yeah, yeah. How, how do we want to go about this? Do you have a particular story item you'd like to hit first? Because there's three of them here. Yeah, I think the most interesting one is probably the the new dinosaurs and whatnot that were revealed in that IMAX preview. Is this more pronunciation that I'm going to butcher? Yes, it is. You know what? Just Let's just say there are seven of them. Oh, I <laughs> want to try. I want to make okay. a fool right. out of myself, Haley. Get in there. Muck yeah. it up. Where's, where's the quotes? I will say it. I will say it. Where are they? I'm looking for them. I knew one of the, I knew one of them, the, oh, here, the, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. I can, I can pronounce Dreadnoughtus because of the Dreadnought in Star Wars, The Last Jedi. I'm going to, I'm going to pronounce the ones that I know first. Overraptor, Iguanodon, and the gigant, gigantosaurus, gigantosaurus, I believe. <laughs> now it's a, Quetz- <laughs> a, a, a what? <laughs> a, a Are you looking at the words? No. Can you look at the words and try? I, I didn't agree to this. This was your, Mor- your Morris, Morris Intrepidus. <laughs> See, this is the kind of thing that if I was playing in a Jurassic uh, Schmodown, I would guarantee you I'd be able to spell everything and never say it out loud. <laughs> That makes sense to me. I These are the kind of words that my brain just kind of acknowledges like an emoji. 
like yes i okay now that has been stored as an image but i cannot process it as a word i right but there's there's new dinos and yeah maybe maybe we should give a light spoiler warning just in case someone wants to go see this footage and they don't want us to ruin it for them or maybe you just want to see this in the full feature so just give us a couple minutes to talk about the footage that our own Steve Weintraub was able to screen. It was the beginning of the movie. I will say this from the interview with uh, Trevorrow. I don't, it's not confirmed that all of this footage will actually be in the final film. So if you do want to see it, you might want to get your hands on the, I mean, I'm sure it'll make its way to the internet eventually, but uh, he he said that I believe they're still, they're still cutting. So it's not like a hundred percent if this will all be in there. Well, now I have just prioritized seeing Fast 9 again, F9 (laughs) again, even more, because I need to see this footage. Um, All right, so here we go. I'm going to tell you what Steve said about this material. So apparently, this preview footage took place both in the past and present, kicking off 65 million years ago. Um, score was done by Michael Giacchino and Steve explained it like that this preview footage plays like a nature film where we are following a number of dinosaurs as they wander around the land he calls it peaceful and quiet allowing us to take in the beauty of our planet before humans arrive and um, now he talks about the dinosaurs towards the middle of the extended preview we encounter a t-rex and a gigantic Ganotosaurus fighting and after a short battle the T-Rex is killed as we get a close-up on his eye dilating we see a mosquito fly in and suck out some blood from the area nearby is it the same amber mosquito that John Hammond has on his staff in the first Jurassic Park movie that is undetermined but it's pretty clear this is the origin story of the T-Rex we have come to know and love in the Jurassic films um, then it's 65 million late 65 million years later we are following the t-rex as it is racing through a forest being chased by people in a helicopter trying to take it down with a tranquilizer tranquilizer dart as the race to the forest continues the t-rex enters a drive-in parking lot where chaos unfolds as people scramble to escape the massive dinosaur as the sequence ends you'll be left wanting more well, yeah one would hope yeah uh, i mean i like I- the sound of that it sounds so cool. I, I'm super intrigued by a little glimpse back in time. That's a sort of a new direction for the franchise. And uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm like fully on board. I, I did like Fallen Kingdom more than a lot of people did. And I am super into Camp Cretaceous. So maybe I'm a bit more on board with the general like worldwide mythology building direction they want to take this franchise but i'm i'm super into it i can't wait to see this footage and i i like that they're like straight up seven new dinosaurs get hype i think that's really funny i still need to binge camp cretaceous i keep saying i'm gonna do it and then five million things pop up but it's on my list i i do love the sound of this and i kind of hope it stays intact in the beginning of the movie because i feel like every installment we've gotten really feels very focused on the future and you know what dinosaurs being in the world means for our future what's the next step what's the next park how can we weaponize them what can we do next whereas you know what where all of this started is with a respect and a disrespect for the past and where it all came from so the idea of it connecting something like that in one sequence 
like that seems like a really rich way to start. And I'm curious to see if bringing back characters like Alan and Ellie is, you know, it's putting a little more weight behind respecting what came before it and what dinosaurs really meant back then. And also when they actually roamed the earth. I feel like we lost sight of that. Yeah, well, I think that the, like, you're right that it's very forward-looking in the recent films, and I do think that the, and if if Camp Cretaceous is anything to go off of, the direction they seem to be heading is that we do have to learn to coexist with them, but uh, I, I did love, I mean, that's the whole awe and wonder of that first film right mm-hmm. is like holy shit these are creatures out of time and we are not prepared it gets the best of both worlds though and it get yeah. it gets that because it's like you've got you've got john hammond and ian they're all focused on you know whether this could be you know the greatest thing in the world for the future or have it all devolve into chaos whereas you've got alan and ellie with a great respect for the past and it was a great balance between the two but then that balance kind of went away when, you know, in the second one, Ian really wasn't the same person that he was in the first. And then the focus is very much elsewhere in Jurassic Park 3, but I still love that movie. And then obviously the Jurassic World films become a completely different thing. Yeah. In that respect, at least. Yes, they were more interested in respecting the past of the franchise. Yes. <laughs> very good way to put it. Yeah, but I do enjoy them. I have said this before, and I do apologize to our dear listeners who hear me repeat myself so often, but I just like big dinosaurs. I want to watch the big dinosaurs. I can't be too mad at these movies, even even if that first one is real, real interested in the past of the franchise. Should we touch on any of these? Tri- oh, they're not block quoted. I'm never going to find them. <laughs> Um, I'll throw out what I I remember being really interesting. Which okay. Was that uh, Trevorrow cited Bond and Born as like this is sort of a sci-fi thriller. Um, I'm sure it's not going to be an outright spy movie, but those are really unexpected references to hear for a Jurassic film. You know that that perked my ears up for sure. All right. That's no, that's that's interesting. I imagine eyeballing it- those. I guess it's pro. Well, I don't know. Nobody knows anything, but I would imagine like Owen's probably the spy character trying to do something. Possibly. I don't. Who knows? Spy movie, science thriller with dinosaurs. So I'm just reading the full thing. There's an- all right. I'm just gonna read it to you guys so I can read it for myself. I'm sure it's no secret that we shot in the UK, we shot in British Columbia, we shot in Malta, and those are essentially representing our locations. There's another major location that I don't want to disclose yet. But there is any environment you can imagine, ecological environment, physical environment that you could think of. It's represented in this movie because it is a big globe hopping adventure. It's got a little bit of born and bond and a bit of a spy movie thrown into it, too. Spy movie, science thriller with dinosaurs. Um, why are all of these things that I don't like popping into my head right now? Like it, it feels unfair to be so judgmental about, you know, one quote, because I don't know how much it even leans into the specific things that I'm thinking of. But when I hear big glow popping adventure, I just I always get worried that a story is going to get spread too thin. 
it does sound like this movie is doing a lot like a lot a lot it's so many characters it's so many locations apparently we're going back in time Uh, it's i get your concerns i have to admit though that it's like that i want to see the big dinosaurs thing when you say uh a, a dinosaur spy movie i'm like oh fuck yeah that's so for me so i don't i'm I, I agree with your concerns but i also got very excited by that the other the other thing that worries me about it being a spy movie is that yes then i apply the like the spy character to you know claire and owen and i start to picture them you know sneaking around the mansion and i i don't I don't need that again. Or like sneaking, sneaking around the transport back to the mainland where they're getting the T-Rex blood. Like, yeah, maybe it's more, this is all conjecture, obviously, but maybe it's more than like sneaking around that hybrid kid trying to protect her. I don't know. Could be, could be something. (laughs) I'm making it all up, but this is where my brain's going. Well, I am. I'm very interested to see how Maisie factors into all of this because that like, it almost feels like, a very big thing to reveal at the end of Fallen Kingdom that could poof be gone in this one if they wanted to lean into big action, heavy, crazy stunt sequences. So true. Like big flashy cast with all of the new characters and all the old characters. Where's Maisie? You didn't even think about Maisie, did you? But like, yes, I'm going to think about Maisie. So she better have a big role in this. I would be floored if they dropped that. That was so major. I would be floored. I would not be floored. I, I would I would be very upset if they dropped it. I would not be surprised if they sidelined it. Oh, sideline, sure, but I think it's gotta be important. I don't it just the way that I yeah, I whatever. I, I would I would be pretty floored if it wasn't a, a factor in this film. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna oh, hold. bookmark this for, for yeah. later. <laughs> I'm a hold tight to that and just pray that it really is getting the amount of screen time it deserves because there's a lot of important characters in this movie now, which is cool, but it's a lot. That is. All right. Do we want to start reviewing stuff? Yeah, let's do it. Do we want to review two things or one thing? I think we should do one with the time we have left. I think we should too. All right. (laughs) So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk Loki episode one. First, we're going to give our non-spoiler reaction to the episode, and then we'll dig into spoilers and say goodbye to anyone who hasn't had the chance to watch it yet. But of course, welcome you back after you've watched it. Haley, what'd you think of Loki? Super dig it. I am reluctant to get my hopes up too high because I ultimately was pretty disappointed by the way WandaVision got less freaky and more straight up MCU. And I was pretty disappointed by the ending of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But that's my brain and my heart is all about Loki. Like I love that first episode and I will talk about why more in the spoilers. But suffice it to say, there's a reason we're talking about it on a horror podcast. It is like existentially terrifying. It's existent, it's, I can't, I'm not gonna say it. It's that. And <laughs> I, also, I also tweeted that I was obsessed with the Beetlejuice vibes of the TVA. Like it it felt like the world building and even like almost like a similar atmosphere to the afterlife in Beetlejuice. And I just couldn't get enough of it. Even some of the design, it felt like it was like tapping into that a little bit. Um, But yeah, this, the show is, is, 
I mean, it's like a horror story for trying to wrap your brain around the way that, you know, time works and how insignificant you are in, in the universe and in the grand scheme of things. It's, again, I saw, did you see what Vinny tweeted? That shot of Loki watching the, the screen when it says, um, I believe it says end of, end of real. Like that is, that's crushing. That is crushing stuff. Oh yeah, Lo- uh, okay. Vinny is working on a feature about what we're about to discuss in the spoilers more in depth, that existential terror. And I cannot re- wait to see what he has to say about it. Keep an eye on the site, I believe on Saturday for that one. Um, yes, it's, I, I do wanna touch on the production design that you mentioned. I thought that was such a standout of the first episode. I also am, pretty impressed with how in 45 minutes they set a really new course for the MCU um, with really really clever shorthands to sort of tuck away what we knew before and say now we're doing this. Um, I'm all about it and I think that Hiddleston is just having a blast. It is so he is so good and they let him go for it so hard. He's fully theatrical. Like you see all that training coming through and he is so well paired with Owen Wilson. I never would have guessed that their chemistry and timing would be so perfect. It is really good. I can't, (laughs) I want to get into spoilers so bad. Um, But yeah, I I agree. I agree with, with everything you said. And then I'll just throw in a shout out for my favorite, Wumi Masaku, who kicks ass and also has some pretty solid chemistry with Hiddleston. And I just, I want to see, I want to see more of the TVA. I'm so eager to just like unpack all of that and have a better understanding. And, you know, actually one thing that I was really impressed by was how much information it conveyed. And I'm not going to say that I fully understand everything because obviously there's mystery at play here and we're going to learn more as it goes on, but does it make any sense for it to be, incredibly complicated but also feel fairly streamlined for a single episode it's like when you think about the information that they hand you it's fairly clear and point blank it's just when you start to think about other things that could be existing beyond it that's when you get you know a little convoluted but the way that they deliver all of this information over the course of one single episode is actually fairly clear Oh, I agree. That's what I mean. I think that their their shorthands for translating that in a yeah. way that's accessible is pretty masterful in that first episode. All right, can we just get into spoilers? Do it. It's Let's really see. good. It's yeah. really good. Go well, watch the show. You're already gonna watch it. It's Loki. Just yeah. Go watch it and then come back to this conversation because this is your one and only spoiler warning. That's it. It's happening right now. So you know what the one big thing is that I think I'm getting confused, maybe or not or I need more clarity about mm-hmm. it's the difference between a time, like the timelines and the multiverse, if there I'm, is any difference at all. I, so I am not a physics professor. <laughs> I, uh, Oh, you're not. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Surprisingly, my complete inability to do math at all has obstructed that career path for me. Um, I, so my, my understanding, and I've also been like, do I understand this? So I could be wrong, but it's that the, all these multiverses exist, 
but they have to go according to the sacred timeline, um, I think. And so, so like, you're saying that, so you're saying that like the bigger, like the, the bigger package, the outer shells are the timelines and within the timelines are the multiverses. Kind of, yeah. Well, because we saw Bruce visit a different timeline with, or no, it was the same one. I'm so confused. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know anything. So, but- so, I, so, and technically, technically no, because remember what they say in the episode is that the time, like that was meant to happen. Yes. So the timekeepers knew that that was okay. So by them doing that, they never created a Nexus event. The only one who created an unexpected Nexus event was Loki when he got the Tesseract and he stepped out. That created the branch timeline, but the Avengers never did. I will be honest. I think that this is probably the big question that phase four seeks to answer because even when you think about, uh, you know, Spider-Man Far From Home, we that sort of introduced the concept of the multiverse. Um, and from the casting, certainly seems like it'll be a major part of the upcoming Spider-Man. But we never, we didn't actually learn anything because that was a ruse, right? So uh, I, I think that we're supposed to be asking these questions okay. and I don't think they're supposed to be super clear yet. Also like, um, you know, I was uh, junking around in my head, like why was Captain America able to live his second life? Oh, right. Cause that's part of the sacred timeline. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just getting my head wrapped around this new concept of how things work. But what I will say is no, no, no. Okay, so yes, obviously the multiverse exists because um, of something we can't talk about. It's an episode two. I know I've been <laughs> I've been very nervous about tripping into that. Yeah, um, you tell me when we're done recording, though. Yes, I will remind me. I feel confident now in my first answer. Okay, so um, but it is this this the the intensity of the structure and the pruning of the timeline that leads me to like my terror of this episode oh uh, i think i think i know what you're gonna say oh just the the complete like a there's no free will in the mcu that's been they're saying no free will what a strong stance to take at disney um they're saying that people just like souls just dead ass get erased by the TVA like that guy who was in line <laughs> it's like the t- it's like uh the TVA is the horror version of uh the soul world and soul yes it's terrifying and then of course as you mentioned Loki viewing his file up to the end it's a lot to unpack and I really I think I was like 10 minutes in and I said out loud I was like this is fucking intense isn't the line sad and like I can't believe I'm feeling bad for villains but when there's a line that's essentially like like really the only purpose of villains is to bring out the best in others (laughs) oh man it's gotta make poor Loki feel really, really empty. But on the bright side, man, did that give a lot of uh, that give Hiddleston a lot of media material to work with because he got range in this episode where Loki is going from you know his his cocky jerk of a self to just 
like you could see him break down and kind of not know what tools to reach for that we've seen him use in so many films before. It's it was it was very interesting to see him flailing like that. Yes. And I I was impressed when you talk about range that his ability to like bounce between scenes like that and then you have this scene where he's on trial and he's trying to do magic and it's a very big broad comedy beat that he's totally nailing you know he's playing it like he's in Shakespeare and that's why Mm -hmm. it lands so well I I love this performance and I love that we get to spend this much time with him he's such a phenomenal actor um and that's the kind of actor you need to fully just give someone an existential crisis Mm -hmm. just like I showed up for a trickster and I left wondering a whole lot about free will and I'm also very impressed because I feel like in 45 minutes of this first episode Loki was basically able to do what Westworld has spent three seasons trying to do oh boy I never watched a Westworld season three so I can kind of imagine because it lost me too much by the end of season two yeah, it's fine. You're fine. But it is all about, do you have free will? Are your actions predetermined? Yeah. Who's determining them? And those are the questions that I'm going to have fun debating all season. Like, well, is this the right timeline? Why is it sacred? Who who said these timekeepers get to decide? Uh, I have so many questions and it all it all makes me a little sick to my stomach to think about, honestly. How did you feel? All right. So just to to like narrow that focus a little, because we can apply it to our own lives and have nightmares about it. But what about within the MCU? Because I know there's a lot of very strong opinions about uh, the Infinity Stones being reduced to paperweights, let's say. Like, is this show completely diminishing all the events that we've seen lead up to it? I don't know. I think that's one way to say it, but I take the opposite. I think it's not diminishing, it's expanding. It's saying that was essential. Um, I guess maybe there, there's value to the perspective that like how heroic are your actions if you don't choose them. But I think that within the world of the show or the show, yeah, the show, it is a show, not a movie. (laughs) Uh, Let's say the franchise they still have to make those choices, right? Like if they made other choices that weren't in the timeline, they'd be erased. It's so fucked up. But like uh, the choice has to be made to happen, even if ultimately it's the only choice you could have made. I'm trying to think of that one particular line where they explain how a variant is made. Like do you, how, how someone becomes a variant where they say it's something of, of like, like if you're late for work or something. So it, you become a variant if you make any old decision that doesn't adhere to the sacred timeline. It's not necessarily using a magical thing like the Tesseract. Right. Like it's literally just making the wrong decision. Yep. Pretty terrifying. Pretty terrifying. And they show up and erase that version of you. What the fuck, Disney? Uh, so this has had me thinking, like, how many versions have been erased of someone we love, like Captain America? Or, oh you know, my God. it's really, it's a real sinker, this one. It's got yeah. me all up in my, in my terror. It, it literally can have you sitting there rethinking all of your, like, biggest, most life-changing decisions and one, wondering if, you know, if you had gone down that path, would you have been pushed back to start? Right. And I, so I don't, I don't feel that it reduces 
I do feel that it expands. I think it just takes the microscope and takes it back, you know, like you were looking at a very important to take that metaphor a little too far, like you were looking at a very important cell within this uh, creature that is this multiverse, and now they've taken it back and showed us more of the DNA of how it works. Here's another question for you. It's a theory question. Do you, and it, it's simple. Do you think the TVA is gonna wind up being good or bad in the end? <laughs> I'm a pessimistic person, so I think they're probably terrible. And I also like, I don't, I don't know, there's such a like deep existential shit, but I don't really think that, well, I'm not religious. So like, if you believe that everything is God's plan, you will feel very differently about the idea of not having free will because you believe with a, like a love in your heart that everything is determined by God. Uh, to me, the idea of all powerful beings, you know, po absolute power corrupts absolutely is the old saying. So I, 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 have a real hang up with believing that the entirety of existence being decided by small committee could be inherently good. I'm like back and forth on the idea. At this point, at this point, I desperately want them to be good just because I'm so fascinated and I like all those characters so much and how dedicated they are to their jobs and doing their work. But I could see a future in this series where it becomes more about taking down the whole operation and kind of setting people free in a sense. That's kind of what I'm, I'm picking up is that because I think that the, the non-existence of free will is such a dark place for this show to start that to me, like the natural Disney storyline progression would be to reinstate free will. Yeah. In capacity. And I think that would go well with the idea of this, this variant that they're hunting actually mm -hmm. doing what they're doing for good. That's interesting. And us coming to the realization that the, the TVA stopping this individual is actually the bad thing. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to make of the variants. I'm sure some are good, some are bad bad but and some just were late for work <laughs> but, uh, but I do I feel pretty strongly that the TVA is essentially there to be uh, dismantled especially since we already know that or we think we know at least that the the MCU is heading in a multiversal direction which would seem to indicate yeah. uh, a little bit of dissolving happening in their control what do you what do you think Wanda means for all of this? Because she's a Nexus being, so how does that factor in? Oh my God! Or yeah. Could it? Well, so apparently her whole freak out was part of the sacred timeline, or at least the version we saw. She, I think, like, isn't the thing with a Nexus being is that she she would be the same individual? Like, she wouldn't have any variants, if I understand that correctly, which I might not. I'm not a hundred percent on that. I am not 100% on that, but I do think she's probably uh, a problem for people like TVA, <laughs> let's say. So, all right, if the TVA has to be bad and if it has to be dissolved by the end of the series, I hope it's just, I hope it's just the timekeepers and the idea of this operation. Like, I hope Mobius and some of the others still get the opportunity to like pursue lives outside of the TVA. I'm 
I think they will. Um, I mean, you never know what Marvel's gonna, or you know, Marvel Studios specifically is gonna do with a comic book character. But um, like, Gugu and Ra's character has a huge, mm-hmm. like, a huge story outside of this. It's nothing like this at all, and um, ties into Kang the Conqueror, who we know is coming yes, yes. up. So I, I imagine they have plans for her. Um, I imagine that Owen Wilson isn't going to do a ton of MCU probably like his contract's probably a little tighter but but people love him clearly he was like immediately trending what if he's the Catherine Hahn of Loki love it do I love it uh yeah I think that would be a fun surprise that's not what I'm picking up from the character so far I don't know the whole agency and the TVA agents and judges and hunters are really fascinating to me because they were created by the timekeepers and in our interviews with uh the director and the writer you know they really talked about how steve asked how old is mobius and they basically explained that that's like impossible to answer because he's pretty much as old as this timeline so like the beginning of time whatever that means in this context but also do they sleep we see a sign that says they get 17 minute breaks is that do they work outside of that like what is their existence and what does that mean do they have morals like can they be a bad guy it's all very again existential and strange like obviously this is saying that that the human beings in the world and whatever or asgard don't have free will clearly these agents don't have free will but do they even have like will of personality of thought like what is what is the ethics of something that has been created to fulfill a job for all time i mean it's all fair points the only the only thing that i was trying to think to push back on that idea is that we see a whole bunch of tva employees with drastically different personalities but they could have been designed to be that way right like Mo- mobius could be you know, more inquisitive and talkative because he's an agent, but then the hunters might be more stern and, and, you know, eager to fight because of the nature of their job. And then we've got Casey who doesn't know what a fish is and just sits at his desk and kind of paperwork. I love him too. The fish fish is a great line and a killer delivery. I know it was just so perfectly timed. Fabulous work. Um, Also big thumbs up for Miss Minutes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And Taylor Strong was a nice surprise. Yeah. Very well much. Very much enjoyed that character. And also a big thumbs up for the TVA cat. Yes. Is it a cat or is it a flurkin? I need to know its name. I want to pet it either way because I'm foolish. I know. Sign me up for that. <laughs> but yeah, this one's, I'm sure we'll talk about it again as we get more episodes. Oh no, we will. It's it's like in my brain, like a bird. It's giving me real existential crises, multiple, not just one. Um, but oh, that's what I was gonna say to your question: like, are they designed to be that way? To use the Westworld metaphor again, like maybe they are like the robots in their loops in the first season. You know, that's what they were built to do. But can they break free of that? Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I can't I to find question. out more though. <laughs> I know. I know I am. I'm really trying not to get my hopes up too high, as I mentioned, because I do, you know, ultimately both of the last two shows started out really interesting. And then in the end felt like exactly the cliche of a Marvel movie. Right. If um, I hope, I hope. 
again, like you said, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high, but if I am comparing the three pilot episodes, this is my favorite of the bunch. And that's following up to others that I did really like. It's not that I didn't like those, but this one is on another level for me. I agree. I loved the first three episodes of WandaVision um, when it was still being real weird and confusing. But I like this is such a good pilot. This is like probably one of the best pilots I've seen in a long time, regardless of genre or MCU or whatever. Just to tease for anyone who's watching, I'm not going to say a single episode to spoiler, but the first two episodes are very, very good. They are very, very good. I do. I am partial to the first one. Like if, if, if you were a clown enough to rank a list of two things, <laughs> that would be in the top spot. But no, it's a very solid second episode. And I'm really excited to see what they do with this. As am I. All right. Should we let everyone go? <laughs> Probably. I could talk about this forever, but yes, class is over. Forever. You can keep talking about it forever, Haley, as long as you stay within the confines of the sacred timeline. As long as I say what they want me to say. (laughs) Who knows if you did? We might have been reversed back to the beginning of this conversation more times than we know. I know. Okay, so here's a new added existential layer to me. Like, so to take that thought process through, let's say, you know, the question of are they good or evil, but we don't know. So imagine that was the reality, but the timekeepers were owned by Disney. So they actually did rewrite everything we ever said to say good things about Disney. Like, these are the things I'm thinking about. So what if it's, you know, I just, you know, conglomerate corporate culture is always on my mind, but I have concerns about too much power in a single unit. That sounds like a really great movie idea. All right. Somebody like I could, I could probably watch a whole different bunch of variations of the TVA with different timekeepers that are represented by different things to see how those different like corporations, individuals, what have you would use that ability. And it would be wildly disturbing no matter what we talked about. That's so true. Yeah, oh, let's boy. make it an anthology. I, I take it back. In one, in one version of this story that I'm building, it's, it's like, Dewey, Wally, and Gordy are the timekeepers. And it's oh. just constantly reversed when I don't, you know, give Dewey treats when he demands. I was going to say, it's all food and snuggles. Yeah. That's you it. Know what this is sounding like. This is sounding like uh, a lot like Inside Out now. You know, at the end credits, when you see all the different, uh, the different emotions inside the being's head and you get the cat one and the dog, you get animals. It's great. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm spiraling. We got to wrap this yeah. up. I'm spiraling. Uh, that's it. We're out of here. Before we go, Haley, is there anything you want to shout out on the site? Uh, well, you know what? I I don't have anything that I've written this week that that I mean, you know, is worth. <laughs> I don't think I wrote anything this week. I was very busy doing managerial stuff. But I will just uh, once again say, keep an eye out for Vinny's piece on Saturday because I'm sure he's going to say a lot of what I said, but funnier and more concise. Um. Guess what I'm going to promote? A brand new ladies night. We actually have two of them up if you haven't watched them. Two went up this week. The first one was with Hannah Waddingham, who, of course, we know and love from Ted Lasso. And she also had a pretty significant role in Game of Thrones. Then we just posted one today, the day of the recording at least, for Leslie Grace, who is 
very, very, very good in In the Heights. And she's right. also a delightful conversation. Both of them really were. They're lovely, lovely ladies. Check those conversations out. That is it. We are out of here. You have officially survived the witching hour.